are back on another episode of the Summer Series of Chit Chat with Corley. I'm your host, Lucas Corley, and today joined by a very special guest, the head coach of Whiteland Football, Mr. Darren Fisher. Coach, thanks so much for being with us today. Mr. Corley, I'm flattered that you would ask me to join you for this conversation. Well, this all goes back to, and I texted you, and I don't know if you remember, I think it was after summer practice. They all start to blend together after a certain point. And we were sitting there talking, and you were telling me about all this different stuff from your childhood. I was like, man, I don't think anybody knows all this cool stuff about Coach Fisher outside of just like, they're like, oh, he runs the sweep and all that. And it's like, well, yeah, we've, we've read that story a thousand times, but no one knows the man behind the coach. So that's kind of why I wanted to have you on. And again, appreciate you being here. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit football because I know some people are going to be listening and wanting to hear about that. Uh, you know, last year, the big state run. This year, it's a whole new squad. It's going to be a whole new challenge. What are some of the things here early in the summer that you have been surprised by or some things that you're like, wow, this is what we're going to have to change maybe be a little bit different? Well, I think our entire approach to the offseason has been a race to maturity is kind of what we've titled it. And, and you know, we've got an incredible amount of, of sophomores that are that, um, you know, I, they're juniors this coming season. But, you know, they're guys that have only lost two games in their entire career since seventh grade. And, and so we know they're talented, uh, but they needed to grow up. They needed to change. And we were really happy. Our, our team, our team speed um, in the six month of work from January until uh, June, uh, in that five-month span of time, our 40-time dropped 0.24 seconds per player on average, and uh, our big three lifts went up 10,000 pounds. So um, in that case, you know, and, and our uh, our attendance in the offseason went from we had uh, – we've got 85 varsity football players. Of those 85 guys, um, 57 of them have attendance of 90% or higher. So they've put in the work. Um, they've gotten the results and then we've taken it to the field. It's only been four practices at this point. But, um, you know, we've seen the attention to detail. Our film numbers are up. Um, I think, you know, the one thing that you gain um, you gain from last year was, you know, a lot of people don't put enough stock into those five weeks of practice that those guys got moving up to that game. Even though they weren't playing in the games on Friday, they got five extra weeks of practice. And, you know, a big motto for us as a coaching staff is coach next year's team too. You know, you want to be a good program, not just a good team. So, you know, our JVs lost one football game last year, um, like I said, two in their entire career. And uh, those guys, are we're, they're showing really good um, confidence and really good sense of urgency right now in that race to maturity. Now, um, you know, there's, there's going to be some ups and downs coming up. We're going to team camp uh, next week on Thursday. We'll be at Indiana University team camp, and we'll uh, – I'm sure we'll find out some, again, some good and some bad and some things. And you talk about doing things a little different. I think, um, you know, we're, we're really, we just have some unknowns right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, our summer is going to be kind of finding out what we're good at and what we're not. It sounds like you're kind of getting back in the swing of things with, uh, with your voice there as well. Uh, getting back into, you know, shouting on the football field and getting back in the swing as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. I, I kind of get, you know, we kind of get our guy. I try, we try to get our guys lathered up. Football's got to be fun. You know, it's, it's a lot of work, so it's got to be fun. So a lot of our time is spent, you know, trying to make sure that we don't have to coach effort, thankfully. Um, but you do have to coach emotion and passion. And, and we try to, we try to mimic that as a coaching staff. Well, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this team as the season goes along, but I wanted to kind of go back again to uh, the man that is Darren Fisher. So I want to start at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, uh, you know, kind of those early childhood days of maybe what got you into football and, and just some of the memories you have from, from sports as a, as a kid. It's funny, you know, we, I've spent a lot of time talking about that because two of my, 
early in my career in high school, you know, there's always somebody that makes you go, somebody that makes you pay attention to details and holds you to a standard. And uh, one of those guys just retired last week. So, um, you know, there were some people reminding me of some stories that I had forgotten about that kind of me, but uh, um, I was born in New York City, believe it or not. Um, My parents moved here when I was five years old. Um, I gained four stepbrothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of five. So, um, you know, yes, I had three older sisters that took care of me and an older brother that pushed me to the brink um, of disaster on, on a few occasions. So I was fortunate to, to, to grow up where, um, you know, I had a lot of people that cared about me and a lot of people that, uh, you know, pushed me to do the right thing. Um, my sisters were, were gold. They still are. Um, I went to Mooresville High School. I know, don't, don't boo. Um, but, uh, you know, I grew up in Mooresville. I went to school at Mooresville High School, and uh, I was a three-sport athlete for, for a while until I reduced it to two. I My career basketball scoring average of 0.5 points per game sounds like kind of got me out of basketball after the JV days. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there, there's some men in my background. Number one is obviously my father. He's um, you know, my father has been a, a laborer. I would call him a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, you know, he's been one of those guys that he knows how to weld. He knows how to paint cars. He knows how to fix front end loaders. He knows how to wire a house. He knows how to, you know, build a, anything. He's, he's a carpenter. He's a plumber. He's an electrician. He's all. a mechanic. Yeah. He's one of those guys. And, um, you know, I learned from him. I wish I'd have paid attention. I stopped listening to, can you hand me that? I know what all the tools are called, but I don't know what oh, they do. Hey, I'm the same way. My dad was an electrician and, you know, he's, he's one of those dads is like, you're not holding the flashlight, right? And mm-hmm. I'm like, sorry. And now yeah. I'm like, looking back, I'm like, well, at least now, and I still have a chance to work with him sometimes fixing pipes and stuff whenever we have a leak or whatever. So I've finally started to pay attention. Yeah, I was, I was daydreaming after he got to hand me the name of the tool. Then I started daydreaming and I wish that now when things break, I think, man, I wish I'd have paid attention to what he was telling me. Um, but I, I had, I had two, and again, I'm going to connect this to now. I had two high school coaches or three that were really influential in my life. Dan, uh, Denny Pelly, who was, he's in the hall of fame now as a head football coach. And, and he was fantastic. Um, but there were two assistant coaches on that staff, uh, Steve Hillegoss and Phil Gatz. And they're the guys that sort of held me to that standard in the classroom, on the practice field, in the weight room, everywhere it was. And, uh, you know, Coach Gatz came and talked to our team this season um, after we kind of got into our little funk where we had lost the Martinsville game during this year and we were kind of seemed splintered and fractured. I thought, you know, I'm going to let him listen to a different voice. And, uh, you know, he came in here and talked to our guys and challenged them, just like he challenged me when I was, I mean, I was 56 years old when he came here, you know, just like he challenged me when I was 16. He did the same thing for our kids, and it, it made it, if you ask some of them, they'll tell you, that was a big day. So those guys were really important to me. So yeah, I, I, I my favorite sport was whatever sport was in season, was my favorite sport. And uh, I just loved c- to compete and play them all. And I, you know, took a lot of lumps and uh, there's stuff that athletics does for kids that parents can't do and mm-hmm. nothing else can do. And I don't really care what sport it is. You know, football's the one that I chose, but you know, anything that pushes you to compete, I think makes you a better person. And, and uh, I, I benefited so much from my youth. Um, I owe all those people a great debt of gratitude to who I am today. I want to go back. Cause you mentioned that you had three sisters and a brother. Obviously, when you have more sisters than brothers, you're going to get that kind of that feminine influence a little bit. How did they, though, maybe 
help you along in just terms of your athletic career, just growing up. And, you know, you said that, that they, oh, they had, they care for you like, oh, so much. I, well, I mean, other than, you know, transporting me from place to place when I was younger, I'm going to go into the way back machine here. So when I was younger, my sisters graduated from high school in 1978, 1979 and 1980. So, you know, I knew my brother, so I knew classic rock. I knew disco. I knew Rod Stewart. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm a music encyclopedia. Because you're a big ABBA we fan. We grew up. Oh, I love it. That's my mom. My mom listened to Freddie Fender and ABBA and, I mean, you name it. Um, so, so my sisters used to be, like, when I was the quarterback in youth league football, I would run the plays and my sisters would come out with me in the backyard and, and play. But my sisters were good athletes themselves and uh, and obviously very they were very popular back in 1978, 79, 1980. So they always dated the players I was watching on Friday. So the guys <laughs> that I would watch on Friday night, they were where they were my sister's boyfriend. You're kind so, of starstruck a little bit. So I was fortunate. I was the water boy for lots of very big basketball games and uh I kept the scorebook for high school baseball games and uh, football games. I did water stats because, you know, my 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 sister's boyfriends were out there playing football and and I was able to kind of join in. I had those guys to kind of I was the little kid that wanted to be around and they just fit me in. So yeah, it was. I learned to love it. Like I learned to love the competition and the high school sports and the just the intensity of it at a very young age. I mean, I. You know, there were some basketball regionals in a semi-state that I can remember being behind a bench. And you know, I was like 10 years old, and I thought, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. I want to do this forever. Like, I, I'm the kid that I didn't – I knew what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I knew what I wanted to do. And when I went to college, I went to college to be a teacher and a coach because I knew what I wanted to do, partly because of those guys that had such an influence on my life. But the other part is I fell in love with it at an awful early age. You mentioned that you, your parents moved from New York when you were five and you've talked a little bit about, and I want to touch on the, the story of the Bob Knight basketball camp as well. But you mentioned that, you know, you had a love for basketball. I did. Uh, you had a love for football. And I'm guessing the third sport was baseball. I did. With basketball, do you think that there was any impact? You know, New York's a big basketball city as well. Was that maybe where, did your parents have any love of basketball when they came, you know, you don't, when you come to Indiana, it's a big basketball state as well? You know, it's funny. My parents did not play. They were not athletes. Like, they were not athletes. My father was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, um, you know, during the um, the um, Korean Korean conflict. And, and uh, you know, they were working and make, worried about raising kids and making money right. and not playing athletes. They just wanted me to be busy and compete and work. And, uh, you know, I, I said I learned that from other people. But, yeah, I, I fell in love with basketball. I, I'm, so in 1976, when IU won the national championship, we Last were undefeated in, title. Yeah, we were in, like, what grade was I in? I was in, like, fifth grade. And uh, they came home from the game, and uh, we're my elementary school, wherever the elementary school is, really close to 37, and the team was coming home from the airport. So we got out of school. So what a big deal it was. We got out of school that day and went to the, to the Waverly Inn, which was on the highway, and the IU team pulled over. The bus pulled over, and they got off the bus and were slapping hands with kids and everything else. And I just thought that was like the greatest thing in the world. So from that moment on, like fifth grade, like I played basketball, but in fifth grade, I'm like, man, that's like, this is really cool. So I thought, you know, I'm going to give this basketball thing a try. So yeah, I had a great time. So then after that, was it shortly thereafter that you went to the Bob Knight camp? I did. I think a lot of people, you know, there's so many coaches camps and now I think the sports has changed so much in general where there's, there's camp every week now that you could go to in the summer. Back then, though, it would still probably have to be a pretty big deal to be able to go to the Bob Knight basketball camp. Oh, uh, it was huge. You know what? 
So I went to Bob. <laughs> I went to Bob Knight basketball camp when I was between. It was in middle school. I want to say it was between my seventh and eighth grade year. I went to Bob Knight basketball camp, and and uh, Steve Alford was the prized high school recruit. I think he was, was he two years older than I was. So anyway, he was the prized high school recruit. And so the whole basketball camp, there's hundreds and hundreds of kids. So the whole basketball camp is divided into stations. So we're doing these stations. And of course, I'm in the little guy station because I'm with the eighth graders. And uh, we go in. So we're in the locker room. And Bob Knight's station was to run the old projector and talk about help side defense. I will never forget this as long as I live, Lucas. So I'm in this room. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm looking around the locker room. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about help side defense. He's running this film back and forth. And the current IU players were the camp counselors with each group that helped you rotate and get mm-hmm. where you got to go. And he, whoever was in our group, I can't remember which player it was. I wish I could. But this guy didn't play very good help side defense on the video that Coach Knight was showing. And Coach Knight started, his voice started escalating higher and higher and higher. And by the end, he's screaming at this guy. And, and like, we're eighth graders, and we're sitting in there like, oh, man, we better play help side defense really well when we go back out of this room because Coach Knight <laughs> is screaming at this guy. So that was my first experience of like being around tough coaching. Like I, you know, and again, it was just summer camp. I can't imagine what a regular season that, you know, the, the level of intensity was like because Coach Knight was intense on a guy that's thinking he's a camp counselor helping eighth graders rotate to right. the water station and he's getting after this guy. So, I mean, it was pretty cool. And then at, at night, that then one of the nights, I can't remember which one, but one of the nights they were talking about shooting fundamentals. And he brought this kid out who ended up being Steve Offord. I had no idea who Steve Offord was at the time. But he brought this guy out of the stands, and he shot the lights out. I mean, they were having these shooting contests, and this guy was just – he was killing everybody. I mean, he was like, hey, who wants to guard him? Who wants – you know, and he was just destroying everybody. Found out later it was Steve Offord, so I thought it was – pretty cool well and of course everybody has seen now with with youtube all the viral videos of coach knight's antics and i think there's one where he's sitting there at a coach's show and then all of a sudden he starts getting frustrated and he you know starts cursing throws down the microphone and he's just like he just got so upset in his passion for for basketball and of course there's a thousand different takes on coach Knight's style but yeah that was i think what indiana fans liked is that he coached hard and I mean, that's got to be cool, though, to think back now and you're like, man, that was, that was Steve Alford. I was on yeah, the same court I'm a, with. I'm a huge, like, like we used to play pickup basketball. So when I was in college, I'm going to fast forward to when I was in college. So Rick Majerus was the coach at Ball State. So I was a baseball player. And uh, our workout time was at, I don't remember, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something. So when Ball State would have a home basketball game, Coach Majerus wanted to work out. So it was Coach Majerus and Dick Hunsaker, and he would come in the weight room and just grab two dudes and go, hey, let's go. So one day he was grabbing – he grabbed us. So we were playing two-on-two basketball in the arena at Ball State before the game. And uh, he just thought that was great. So a couple times he would come grab me a few times, you know, and he would do – but he would step on my foot and shoot hook shots, and he'd pull my pants down. If I jumped up for a layup, he'd grab my shorts and pull them down. He was just – he ended up being – I mean, Rick Majerus is in the basketball right. hall of fame, so – like I got to kind of know him as a as a just a just as a guy, you know, and uh, like I said, I just I, all those things, you know, coaches are a they're consumed by what they do, and b they are human too, and they do, there's a lot of things. So I just I, I found that the more again I count my high school coaches who I already mentioned, and I count all those people that I was around at those formative ages. I just I just got to know some coaches, and and I thought like this is what I want to do. 
whenever you're younger and you're playing these three sports, of course, you mentioned that you dropped basketball just because you didn't feel like your skill level was there. I yeah. wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but with football, and as you kind of maybe start figuring out, like, this is a sport that I like and, you know, I want to get into coaching. Was there ever a point, though, along that journey? I remember when I was in, in high school playing tennis where I'd have a terrible match, and I'm just like, what am I doing out here? Like, I just want to quit. Was there ever a point where you were maybe not, like, actually going to quit, but you thought, what am I doing here? Like, what? why am I doing this? This is this is not fun. This is, you know, a day that you were just so frustrated or a time, maybe a, a month or a season that you're just like, why am I here? What am I doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this into something. So when I was, I'm going to go to when I was a senior in high school. When I was a senior in high school, there was a sophomore who was playing behind me who was really good. And I went through a couple of weeks span of time that I guess, according to Coach Gatz, who I already have mentioned, that I was coasting in practice. And I remember on a Thursday before the game, he lined us up and he made us run a sprint race, which I lost. He made us do an agility drill, which I lost. And he made me answer some questions about what the game plan was that I couldn't answer. And he pulled me aside and he explained to me, he said, hey, because you know you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision on, you know, you, you have to understand that you're not incredibly physically gifted. He's really physically gifted. The advantage that you have is your emotional, mental, and physical toughness that you've always had. And if you give that up, you're never going to play again. And, and that was a moment that I thought, man, I can't believe I'm listening to this guy tell me this. But then when I went home, I, when I told my mother and father that he had said that to me, and I was looking for that confirmation of, yeah, what a jerk, yeah, whatever. They looked at me and said, well, we noticed it here at home. It's true. So get back to work. And like from that moment on, that was a big decision for me because I sat and thought, I'm not going to let anybody talk to me that way. I think I'm going to quit. And then the longer I, when my parents said the same thing, I thought, oh, okay. So here's some people that I didn't like at the time. I mean, I respect the crap out of them, but I was mad at all of them at the time right. are telling me the same thing. And, and uh, that was kind of a, a big moment for me where I realized I'm only, I'm only good at anything. And I've realized this my whole life. I'm only good at anything when I really am all consumed by it and I just work. Like, I, I don't go in the office during the day because I don't really care what everybody else is doing. I got to keep my head down and I got to work. I've got, I had to sign a friend of mine that I used to coach for. I have a piece of tape inside my desk that says, I'm sorry for my language, but it says, just coach the damn team. Like, don't worry about what anybody thinks about you. Don't worry about what anybody says about you. Don't worry about what's going on anywhere else in the building. Just coach the team. And when I have that attitude, I'm so much better. Like when I just am all consumed by what I'm doing and I don't really worry about the periphery at all. And, and like I said, I had to learn that the hard way because I can't imagine, you know, they always say that those that can't do teach. I always look at it this way. People that coach are people that really had to concentrate on details when they were younger just to get to play. And they learn to love it. You know what I mean? Like they talk about grinders. Grinders are people that knew they had to do precision, passion, relentlessness. Like if they didn't do it, they would never get a chance to do what they loved to do. The only chance they had to play was to be precise, passionate, and relentless. And, and I think I learned that as a really young age. And that moment that you asked me about, that really was where it formulated in my mind. Like the only shot you've got is to do it right all the time. Like you can't let up. And I've kind of followed that all along. Switching to uh, your your baseball career, 
I'm guessing you kind of like a lot of kids played some some little league ball for maybe the age of six or seven. I was a star in little league. I was a little league star. Or you, did you ever make the all star team? I'm guessing. Oh my gosh, all the time. So I'm going to tell you. So I got I got some <laughs> I got a couple of baseball stories for you. The first one was my father. I talked about my dad, and and uh, so my dad was the all star coach again. He never played. He just coached because nobody else would. Right. So I was getting kind of a big head. I think I was in like sixth grade, and I kind of thought I was really good. And we played this team, and I was a pitcher, and he left me in there. They scored 22 runs, <laughs> and he left. I kept looking at him like, hey, are you going to take me out and save me? And he just called timeout, and he walked down, and he goes, hey, big shot. He goes, you're the one that said you could do this. You're going to get all three of these outs. I don't care how long it takes. You're going to get all three of them. And 22 runs later. Sound like your dad was trying to prove a point. I got, he did. He did. And he, like I said, there were, I, I was, that, I'll ne- that's a day I'll never forget because I was humbled. You know, we always tell our players here, either you humble yourself or somebody humbles you. And, um, you know, my mom, you know, she passed away about a month and a half ago. And she used to tell me, you don't have to tell anybody you're good. If you're good, they'll tell you. And, uh, you know, there were those times that I would get that reminder from my mom and my dad both, like, hey, you need to just keep your head down and work, like like quit thinking you've accomplished something because you haven't. Um, the second baseball story was, so this is the summer after my senior. So I'm going to play college baseball. So I'm going to Anderson. It was Anderson College at the time, not Anderson University. So I'm going to go play football and baseball both. So um, there was a big left-handed pitcher. He pitched at uh, Purdue. And... I have never hit a ball over the fence in my entire life. I played baseball. I was going to play. I still never hit a home run ever inside the park, but never, ever. I used to, there was a time I could run fast and jump high. I don't look like <laughs> it now. I don't look like it now. But I hit a ball down the left field line. I will never forget this. You know how when you hit a ball, like, and you hit it, and it feels like you mm-hmm. hit a Nerf ball, like you just got all of it, and it felt so good. I stood at home plate, and I watched it. Like, literally, I stood at home playing, I mean, this is it. Thinking it was like, gone. this is it. It hit the top of the fence, and it bounced directly to the left field. Oh, gosh. Almost threw me out at first base. It was it was the longest single in baseball history. Like, it was bad. And then, so I'm on first base, and this is the next week against somebody. This is my college baseball career. So there's I didn't impress, I didn't impress the coach that day. Did not impress no, the coach. No, probably not hustling day. out of the box. Did not impress it, yeah. the coach that day. The second reason was I got put in as a pinch runner. We were down. We were da- Here you go, baseball players. Here's a lesson for you. We were down by th- three runs or f- whatever, three runs. Bases were loaded. I was on first base. So we had to score two other runs before my run mattered. I took too big of a lead, and I got picked off. Mm. That was my last. Like, I watched the next 60 baseball games in a row. Our team went to the Division Three College World Series in Lewiston, Idaho. I never played again. So there's a rule for you. Like did you, you stay on the team? Uh, I did. I did for all four years. Uh, no, just one year. I transferred. Just one year. I transferred after one year. Yeah. Where'd you end up after um, Anderson? That's when I went to Ball State. Ball State. That's when I went to Ball State, and I tried to play, and realized, man, I'm not even close to being a good enough athlete to play with these guys. Like I tried, and that's when that's when my coaching career started. Like my coaching career started when I realized I I love this sport but I'm not good enough. I'm not even close. Was there ever a point where you thought maybe you'd be a baseball coach and not a football I did. coach? I started off as a baseball guy, yeah. I coached baseball in the summer. Uh, that was my summer job. I coached the, the club baseball team at – I coached at Mooresville High School my one summer, and then I coached uh, Muncie – when it was a high school, Muncie Northside. I coached Muncie Northside summer team one year, yeah. So those were – that was my summer job. I was the, the club baseball coach for both of those schools. 
as you've gotten older now and you're not only uh, a husband but a father of your own, what are some of the lessons that maybe you learned from your own parents that you are now implementing as not just, you know, forget about the coaching, just as a family man yourself that you're like, you know, everybody says, I want to be better than my parents were at parenting. You're just they, always wanting to improve. But what are some of the lessons maybe you took away from your childhood that you're like, wow, I really, you know, I, I think about me and my dad, we're both stubborn, hardheaded. I'm like, you know, he was always so hard on me and I'm never going to be that hard on my kids one day. And I'm like, you know, I'm actually probably the person I am because he was so hard on me on stuff that I didn't think mattered. So what are some of those lessons that maybe you take away? I think you just hit one of them. I think you hit one of them on the head there. I, I My parents were a phenomenal example of unselfishness. And, and I would like to think that that's something that I've, only my kids could probably answer that question, but I think that's something I've tried to do is to be, um, you know, unselfish, but yet my parents were also very honest with me. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid, but I always had what I needed. I don't ever remember a day I didn't have what I needed, but I didn't always have what I wanted, you know, but I always had what I needed. And, and I think we've tried to model that with our, with our kids that, you know, a money doesn't grow on trees, but you know, to get what you want, you got to work for it, but we're always going to make sure you have what you need. And the other thing was time. You know, like I said, my my parents both worked. My mom was a, a corporate loan officer for Indiana National Bank. I was dating myself. Chase Chase Bank purchased them many years ago. But um, they both worked real hard, but they both were always available. Like they never, there was never, I can't be there. They were always there. Every time I looked up in the stands or wherever it was, they were always there when I needed them. You know, when I, they, they were all, like, that's what I've tried to do, I guess. What I've tried to do with my own kids is just be there. I've always tried to just be there. And you mentioned the time, and I think that's got to be tough because for those people that think, oh, the football coaches, like, they do their practices, and maybe they watch, like, an hour film, and then they go home. At least with our staff, I know I've been here on nights on Sunday where I'm getting here at, like, noon because John, Coach Preston, says, hey, we're going to cook out, and, you know, it's nice to just hang out, and I, I pick, you know, the brains a little bit. And that's just one day, and that's maybe, you know, I leave at, like, 3, and you guys are here for another several hours and then it's Monday, and it's Tuesday, and it's Wednesday, and it's getting ready for Friday, and then there's JV on Saturday. It's a seven-day-a-week job in the fall, and, you know, of course, once we get to the spring, it starts right back up. How do you go about, and maybe it's a little bit easier now with, you know, kids in college and things like that, but how did you especially go about when they were younger balancing that, like, hey, I really, for the team, need to be here watching film, but also, as a father, I want to be here for these moments and for their own games and stuff that they're doing. Everybody always asks me, why do I like to do things in the morning? That was my compensation. I had to add more hours to the day, and I'm not a stay-up-late guy. Like, I'm just not. I don't – my brain doesn't function very – I don't make good decisions up late. I just don't. You know, some coaches can stay in the office at night and and do – you know what I mean? And make decisions and game plan and do – and I, I can't do that. And I think the other thing is, you know, we add the time to the – more. it's like exercising every day. If I waited till the middle of the day, there'd be 10 reasons you couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But if you do it at five o'clock in the morning, there's like, there's no excuse for you not, you know, I'll set my alarm to do that. You know, so I always set my alarm to do my work early in the morning so I could be around my kids in the evening. And, and that's what I, that's how I, that's how I managed it. I just added hours to my day, but I didn't add them at night. I added them in the morning. Now there are times we clock in for the second shift. I mean, that, that happens to everybody, you know, after the, after the kids would go to bed, you would have to log in and do what you need to do. 
But I said I I mastered that by just adding hours to the day by getting up earlier. I've learned to be one of those people. I can roll out of bed, my feet hit the floor, and I'm ready to go. You know, and and I you know again we tell our players to start fast, and that's always been you know I've been that's that's how I solve that problem. When you're surrounded by some of these younger coaches like Coach Preston, Coach Renard, Coach Rudy, Coach Reese, is there anything like do you do you feel some kind of like as a father figure to them in some way because you're around them so much? Is there is there those moments of passing advice, especially now that Rudy has his own daughter? And I appreciate those guys more than everybody knows. I you know there was a time about five or six years ago I thought I was done, like I thought I was done, and because I just didn't have the energy anymore to bring the juice that I needed to bring. And and I kind of made a decision in 2017 that I sort of needed to reinvent myself a little bit. And, and uh, you know, fortunately, Dr. Spray kind of asked me what needed to happen. And, you know, he let me go find those guys. And, and uh, I feel so fortunate. I mean, Coach Reese found us. But, um, you know, those other guys, you know, I was so fortunate that I was able to go out and find them. And they've added, not just from a, a knowledge standpoint, but from a, from a relationship standpoint and from a, um, like I said, I admire all of, all of those men you just mentioned, along with all of our coaches. I, nobody, I, nobody ever coaches for me. They coach with me. And, and I've always been that way. I've been doing this for 34 years, and I don't think, I don't think anybody's ever – you know, if if I won't roll up my sleeves and do the exact same work, I don't think everybody jumps in when you're just ordering people around. I, I everybody just works with me, and and uh, they've got such unique talents. They all do. Um, that uh, I'm just so fortunate. Not only do they work with me, but they're my friends, and uh, I do. I, I they they inspire me. They they energize me. And uh, like I said, I owe an awful lot. I owe an awful lot to those guys you just mentioned. That the fact that I'm still having fun doing this, and they're the reason why. How hard of a process when you say kind of trying to reinvent yourself as a coach, how hard of a process is it to, especially when you've had all these years of experience, you know, there's there's a lot of th- things, you know, I was talking uh, yesterday with Jerry Emerson, and he said with cross country, you know, I'm always trying to keep my mind open to see what these new training plans are and things like that. But especially when you have like a kind of your own style, it's got to be hard sometimes to then all of a sudden just switch that off. I, I think... You know, everybody talks about lifelong learner, lifelong learner, and that's a trait you need to have. But I, I, I truly, I truly, like, I don't have hobbies. I don't play golf. I don't. That's probably you know, for the best. I'm playing golf today. You know, and I'm lose yeah, a lot of money. I don't play golf. I don't, I don't play cards. I don't, like, I don't fish. I don't do that. I, I just, not that I don't like it. It's just that my hobby is football. You know, I got a password to pro football focus this offseason. And it was the greatest thing I've ever had. I had 278,000 college football plays that I could watch, and I could sort them in a database and watch what I wanted to watch. And that that was better to me than anything else that I could have possibly been doing with my free time is I like to study football. That's what I like to do. Um, so I'm fortunate that my hobby is also my my job, you know. And, and uh, so as far as reinventing myself, it was more my – it was more my attitude that I needed to reinvent. I, I had become, um, well, I don't know. I, 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 I had become where I got culture and tradition confused. Let's put it that way. I thought, well, gosh, we've done all this stuff in the past, and we've won all these games and 
all these championships and I've done it at, you know, four different schools and all this stuff. Like it's gotta be them. Like it's gotta be the players and it's gotta be the parents and it's gotta be the assistant coaches. It can't possibly be me. And, and I think what I realized is like culture is the way that you make everybody feel about being here every day. If you like coming here every day and you're willing to work, then that's a good culture. Tradition just gives you confidence that it could be done. You know what I mean? Like tradition is when you look at something on the wall, like those footballs that hang out on the wall. We're so proud of those, and we talk about those all the time. But the only thing the 2023 team gains by looking at the footballs on the wall is saying, we can do this. Like we can do this. But tr- but the culture is how I feel when I'm here. Do I want to come every day? And I think what I had to do to reinvent myself was I had to make football fun for everybody again like I used to. But I used to do it a different way because I had juice. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I had juice. I could I could multitask. I could coach effort and technique. I could coach strategy and, you know, get excited and everything. But I, as I've gotten older, I've realized that I can't do that every day. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I am the... Multitasking is like the worst thing. I'm I'm a one track mind. That's the way I have to go. And but I found that I don't need to do it all myself. And I learned to delegate. I think in reinventing myself, I learned to delegate. And and when I say delegate, I found people that I trusted and just said, "You go do this because you're better at it than I am." I used to think nobody was better at anything than me. Like that's my ego. My ego. I had to reinvent myself and get rid of my ego. When you were starting off as a coach, you know, everybody knows about the success you've had now. And again, congratulations on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Very excited for you on that. Thank you. But I don't think there's any coach that comes in right away and it's like, boom, they hit the ground running. They just have no hiccups and and it's just smooth sailing from day one. What were some of the early obstacles or challenges you faced in your coaching career? So I was around for when my, I told you when I got hurt in college, I couldn't play anymore. I started coaching. So I was the defensive backs and wide receiver coach at Muncie North High School, which is no longer a high school. It combined with Muncie Central. So I was there for the Remember the Titans year mm-hmm. when they combined the two schools and all these guys that didn't like each other are now playing for each other. And, uh, you know, Coach Boone and Coach – I mean, I had two coaches that they were rivals and now they're trying to work together, and it was unbelievable. So, you know, I think I learned about relationships like right off the bat. Like, man, how do you make these guys come together as a team? And, you know, we went five and five that year, and I thought that was like the greatest thing ever in the world, you know, because like we had all these guys that didn't like each other that by the end they were teammates. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, my first head coaching job, I was 24 years old. I was the youngest head coach in the state of Indiana at the time. Lance Scheib and I, some might know that name. There were two of us that got hired at age 24. Um, so I'm the head coach at Cascade High School, and uh, my second year, I walked in there my first year, and, like, they hadn't won a game in, like, three years. And we won a game. We won game three. I will never forget that. We won game three, and and uh, everybody was so happy, and everything else was great. So the first year went along as it goes along. And my second year, we stumbled around and won the sectional. And they've won one sectional championship in football in that school's history, and it's still 1992. So I thought I had all the answers, and it was all me. I did this. Holy cow, look at what I just did. I thought I knew it all. And I think as you get older, you realize you don't know as much as you think you do. But I got ruined by that. Like, I thought I was the reason why. 
So we had three really good years in a row. I mean, we had three winning seasons in a row, and they hadn't even won a game for a while. And, you know, my ego started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then uh, my wife came home in uh, 1995 and said, hey, we got, I got transferred to Iowa. Mm-hmm. We've, got a, we've got a month to decide if we're going or not. I couldn't have picked Iowa out on a map. Like, I literally didn't even know where Iowa was. So we went on the Meet Iowa trip, which was awesome because it was right after the flood of 1993. So they're taking us on this tour, and the only thing they could talk about is, see that stain on that wall over there? That's how high the water was. It was like, oh, my God, where am I going? You know, It was like, am I in Appalachia? Where am I? Mm-hmm. But it was the greatest nine years that we've ever done. And that's when I learned football because the school that I went to was about 20 minutes from Iowa State University. And my kids weren't born yet. And there was a coach's uh, Dan McCarney. Uh, who coached at uh, Florida uh, before that, was an assistant in Iowa. He was the head coach. And then uh, all these guys, I can tell you, Steve Loney was the offensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Paul Rhodes ended up being the defense coordinator at Auburn. Tony Alford is the running back coach at Ohio State right now. Charlie Partridge is the defensive line coach at Pitt. Um, All those guys, all those guys were all assistant coaches at Iowa State at the time. Chris Ash, who ended up being the head coach at Rutgers, um, they were all assistant coaches on that staff. So every day after school, I would drive over and I would go to spring practice and I learned football. I coached football and had success early, but I really wasn't technically good at what I did. But man, when I went to Iowa and I got to hang around really good football coaches, they just let me, I was like a manager. I moved, I moved stuff. Like, hey, grab that and do this, man. And, and that's how I learned how to coach. Like, I fell in love with coaching during my time in Iowa. Like, I, I fell in love with just the whole process. I thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So, and then once that was over with, then I moved schools, and I got to know the staff at the University of Iowa. When I interviewed for this Whiteland job, I had a recommendation calls. Uh, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa oh, yeah. and Dan McCarney at Iowa State called to recommend me for this job, which I was Do you think anybody else that was applying had as strong a recommendations? I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think so. Um, those guys were great. And, uh, and then so, like I said, that's when I fell in love with coaching. And, and I, I left something out. When I was at Cascade, I started to work the Bishop Dullahan passing camp. And I don't know if anybody knows who Dick Dullahan is around here. You know, he's in the National uh, Football Coaches Hall of Fame. Coach Dullahan was the coach at Ben Davis. He won an unbelievable amount of state championships. And Coach Ben Dullahan just took a liking to me. I don't know why, but he just called me up on the phone one day and said, uh, hey, I just want you. He had this voice, this gravelly. Darren, this is Coach Dullahan. I'd like you to come work our football camp. So I spent some years coordinating some uh, the defensive backs. I coached the defensive backs at football camp. But I went and coached camp for the offensive linemen. I had no idea what the linemen did. So I thought, i got to learn. Um, I coached the linemen, went to camp to coach linebackers. I needed to go learn. So by being around good football coaches and going to camp and doing that stuff, that's when I fell in love with it. So, I mean, I, I fell in love with football at an early age, but I fell in love with coaching when I spent a lot of time around really good coaches and, and humbled myself and said, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I, I was going to say, it seems like a, a theme that I'm hearing just throughout at least your life in athletics is, is getting humbled early on uh, along the way. And I kind of want to go on to, to now this past season. I mean, this, this town, this team riding as high as it has ever risen, getting to the state title game. 
And then, of course, we lose in the state title game. And I know that for you, that was probably a very tough pill to swallow. And it's one that sticks with you. But it, over the course of your life, having these experiences of, you know, like you mentioned, going against your teammate who's a sophomore and being humbled there or being humbled after, you know, a couple of years at Cascade or going to Iowa, how do those experiences play into their learning process? And, you know, football's your life, but then also sometimes, is there a way that you as a guy that just eat, breathe, sleeps football can step back and say, at the end of the day, it is a game? Or how do you feel after, you know, after digesting all that? You know, I say all the time, don't admire your work till the work is done. And I just consider, I'm just an in the trenches guy. I just, I just, I have to, I, you know, a lot of people say that a weakness of mine is, you know, you need to step back and take the 10,000 foot view a little bit because you need to be in charge of all this. I'm more comfortable in the trench. You know what I mean? And, and truly leading by example is, you know, just just keep up with me, fellas. Just keep up with me. Now, I am a planner. I think my 10,000-foot view is to try to plan everything to the minute so that when I am in the trench, nobody is without direction. Nobody likes to do anything without direction. And, and I try to give everybody explicit job descriptions and directions so that I'm not, I don't have to do that organization and planning in the moment. Mm-hmm. I can do it in advance and say, here's what I need you to do. And that's how I had to learn to delegate. When I talked about reinventing myself, that's how I had to learn to delegate. I couldn't run around and do it every day, every minute for everybody, but I could plan it really well and let people then have ownership of it. This is what I want you to do. Go do it. And and I think I found some fabulous people um, to go and execute that plan, and then I was able to still stay in the trenches. So I think, you know, you talk about being humble. I'm humbled every day by, I think, the magnitude of what all of us do around here and how important a role that you you play in, in people's development in their lives. And you don't know it until years and years down the road. But I think every time, you know, people that get out of education too early don't ever see the fruit of that labor until way down the road, you know what I mean? But when a when a student calls you or texts you or messages you or talks to you and says, hey, thank you for what you did for me, it was a moment you probably don't even remember. Um, I, I think that that this all gains. So I'm humbled by that. In a Like I want to do the best job that I can for everybody. Like I want football to be such a great family experience that you're so glad that you played. You're so glad you were a part of it. And you talked about this season. You know, we work awfully hard at youth football around here. We work awfully hard at, you know, just the relationships. You know, middle school speed development. We had 85 kids every Saturday morning. Uh, we've got 65 Wednesday night. Um, you know, last Wednesday night we had like 65 kids come play flag football, you know, mm-hmm. middle school kids. Um, I just like to see people passionate about it and love to do it. So that makes me humble. I, I I I know it's an enormous. It's 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 a family commitment to be a good football program. Like it really is. My families, the staffs, families, the players' families, everybody. It's such a family commitment, and I and I am so indebted to all of them that I work in a football town. There's a lot of places where dudes play football and nobody cares, and I can't imagine what that's like because everywhere I've ever been. I've been fortunate enough that everybody cared a lot. 
and and that's that humbles me more than anything else. Yeah, I think kind of I've I've got that similar feel, and you know I'm only this is I've just finished my third year, and for me it's I guess you could say humbling or always a little awkward. You know, it's always people like people just by nature love to be praised, and when someone comes up and says, "Man, we really appreciate what you do with the Whiteland Beat," and I'm like, "Oh no, it's not," because for me I'm like, well. I just love doing that, like the graphics and stuff. You're like, man, you make a lot of graphics. And I have a lot of great help from the kids now, which wasn't the case, you know, first two years. They're starting to get in the graphics and all that. And I'm just like, oh, no, there's nothing to be appreciative. I just, I like doing it. Like, it doesn't, you know, thanks, but you don't have to appreciate because that's just like what I like to do. I like to keep people informed and that stuff. But it is kind of a little bit of humbling too, especially as you mentioned, like now uh, I just had a Will Jefferson, Claire Overfelt, I had Will Jane class. I'm like, gosh, you're going to be a junior in college. Like it starts to fly by. And, you know, he's telling me how he's doing PA announcing now. And he's like, I'm like, well, you kind of, you did take radio TV first semester. He's like, yeah, that's where I kind of figured I could do it. So that does, it humbles you a little bit. I want to wrap up as, as you know, don't want to jeopardize your time, but as we look forward to, so going back to the man, Darren Fisher, looking forward, I, I've been told you have a lake house. I do. How much time after you finish with your football coaching career will be spent at the lake house versus you know, you said it's your hobby still. So how much will be, you know, you eventually will retire from coaching. Hopefully uh, far down the road, we want to, we want to see us back in Lucas oil, but uh, how much will be spent still around football versus like actually just getting away from the game and saying, you know what? I, I did my time. You know, all the things that you mentioned that you do, all of that stuff has made our program so much better. And, and, and I thank you for all of that. Um, well, coach, but, I just enjoy doing it. <laughs> but, uh, but but that's that's the point. The point is you're you. in the, you're in the trench just doing it. You know what I mean? Because you love to do it, and you realize that that it makes such an impact on you know everybody. Think the more first class we can do this, the better off we are. So everybody's always asked me how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to do this? I'm still having fun. The relationships. You know, the bottom line is this is a relationship business. And between you and the coaches that you mentioned and all the players and all the parents and the student body, like I, I love the relationships that I have with all. This is so much fun for me, um, even though my face doesn't always show fun. Um, you Sometimes know. I take those pictures on the sideline. I'm just like, I would love to be in his head right now. I know what he's thinking before a big game. And there's probably some nerves. There's probably some excitement. Yeah, my, my face doesn't always show fun, but, but I think – I'm having so much fun. I love the challenge of it. I love the competition of it. I, you know, competitive toughness is, is you know, all that stuff to, to sum everything we've talked about up together, my dad and my coaches and the people I've observed and the people I've worked with. I think the one thing I've come out of it with is competitive toughness. I think, you know, emotionally, physically, and mentally, you know, how mentally sharp are you? How emotionally connected are you? Uh, you know, and just how physically tough are you able to come back and do it day after day after day after day? And that toughness is different when you're 56 years old than it is when you're 16. But there's still a physical toughness to all of us that we have to get up and come do this on the days. You know, it's easy to do it on the days you feel like it, the days you don't feel like it. And can you come and give a great effort? I think that's what makes all of us great at our jobs or great at our family life or great at whatever we do. Um you know, but I, I'm going to keep doing I love the lake. I didn't think I was a lake guy. I really didn't. Um, but I'm telling you, there's something about, first of all, the drive out there. It's kind of out in the country. So it's about an hour from from door to door, from White to Whiteland to there. And, um, you know, I get about out in those cornfields out there. Where's your Where's your lake at? It's, it's, in, it's actually in Cascade School District, okay. believe it or not. Um, but it's out on the west side. It's in the western. It's on uh, just west of Hendricks, just west of Hendricks County. 
into the Putnam County line. So it's, it's right by DePaul University. It's okay. literally 15 minutes from DePaul. Um, I get out there and there's just something I can let it go. Like I, I don't, I, I know you, you talk about it being all consuming, but I can let it go. And when I'm out on that water and that boat, it's not as long. I don't do it for all day, but when I get out there, it's different. You know, on Wednesday nights during the season, I go out there for a boat ride and, and I just, it's re it resets me a little bit. It's, it's just, I don't know. I found it. I talked about not having any hobbies. That boat may, might be a hobby. Like that boat might be. That a reminds hobby. me, Nick Saban. I know you're a big Nick Saban guy. I don't know if you've seen oh, his ESPN stuff man. where he's out on his lake house with. I love Nick Saban. There's and, not, there is nothing that man has ever said that didn't click in my head. Like, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. I just. Well, that I, guy you remember is, our video from last year? It takes what it takes. He is a master. He. I don't know. I just. You know that that stuff. Like I've built a lot of. I've built a lot of what I say that comes from my understanding of something Nick Saban said that clicked in my brain. Like he's, you know, again, you talk about being humble. Just when you think you got your stuff together, then there's always somebody that you're like, holy cow, like that guy really gets it. Like, you know, he is my, he's kind of my go-to as a guy that really gets it. So, yeah, I have a, a <laughs> so my, Nick Saban had a belt. There was a few years ago. Like, you know how you play, I don't play golf, but I guess at golf clubs, they have belts with their emblem on them mm-hmm. around. And I saw Nick Saban wearing one on the sideline, and I always just called it my division. Mr. Croy and I used to call that what a Division One belt, and we thought we wanted a Division One belt. So my wife went and found – I don't even know where it came from. She found this, this belt with all these little logos on it, and I wore it for games. And Mr. Croy and I called it our division, my Division One belt. It's my Division One belt that I had. Um, but, no, I'm going to keep going I, I, as long as I'm having – and, again, winning is fun. Don't get me wrong. Winning is fun. Uh, but but I, I'm having fun not just because we're winning. It's all those people that you mentioned before in the relationships, and I'm I'm gonna keep as long as I'm effective, as long as I'm good for kids. Like as long as as long as they still respond to me, and I feel like they're getting something from me. You know, they're either becoming a better student, a better athlete, a better person, a better leader. If they're getting something from me, and I'm not a negative, I'm still a positive. I, I think I'm gonna keep doing it. But I also know that there's going to come a time when somebody's going to be better at this than better equipped for this than I am. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, I've got those people right here on my staff, right here on my, on my coaching staff right now are people that are capable of doing this without me. And I know that. And, and, uh, like I said, as long as we're all still good together and we're good for kids and we're good for the town and the community, I'm going to keep doing it. But the day's going to come when it's time for me to let somebody else do it. I'll finish up with this. Are there ever any days that you still feel that 24-year-old coach to start it off at Cascade inside, and you're like, yeah, this is why I'm doing it? Yeah, it does. Um, you find the joy of that, that, almost that little, or even the little kid that started playing football. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, game day. Like, like I, I love practice. I just love practice. I know this is stupid, but I – I just love, I love practice because I can control every situation. I, I'm a control freak. I can control every situation. I can control everything that happens. Like I can stop it, start mm-hmm. it. Nah, that yeah. was good. You know, I love practice. But on on game day, on game day, the 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 uncertainty of it. You know, there's somebody on our coaching staff who will be remain nameless, whose job is to check on me. And just say, hey, are you okay? Are you going to make it? Like, are you all right? Because I am a nervous ball of, 
I'm just wound up tight on Friday. Like really text tight. Rudy and I'm really out tight. But I've got somebody had it every year. Somebody on the staff who's responsible for coming in and just saying, "Hey, man, are you good? Are you okay?" And you know, if I need to vent, they listen and whatever it is. But you know, I don't ride the bus to away games anymore because the bus just makes me so I get so uptight about stuff. You know, like those guys have really just chased me off on Friday where I don't I don't even talk to anybody. They know that you know I, I've got to get. I talk about being in the trench. I've got to get in my trench, you know, and and I can't worry about all the other stuff that's happening on game day. I just got to worry about, you know, to me, it's like watching it on television. You know, I've got things I have to watch and I've watched it on TV. I talk about Mr. Croy all the time. Mr. Croy used to tell me like when I would get worked up, he'd go, man, it's just like on Sunday night when we watched it on TV, just watch it on TV, just sit and watch, just watch it, just pull away. And you know, those moments they have when you get in the zone, that's a real thing. Like the zone is a real thing when you're, when I'm calling plays, there's nights I'm really good at it because I know I can't hear anything. I can't talk. Like there's stuff people go, didn't you see what happened on the bench behind you? Or didn't you see what happened on the field? And I know I didn't see it. Like people ask me about the state game. God, did you see the size of the crowd? I didn't see it because we were locked. Like I was locked in and that's when I met my best. I met my best when I just ignore everything else. And I, it's hard to do, but boy, game day, like I said, there's, there's people that have to come and, and, but I, I still get that. I still get that. Like, I don't know if I would ever be able to replace that. No matter what I did, I don't think I would ever replace the competitiveness of the preparation at practice, which I love. God, I love practice. The preparation from practice, but the the chess game on Friday. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I used to play checkers. You know what I mean? Like, man, years and years and years and years I was playing checkers. I thought I was playing chess, but I wasn't. But as I've gotten better and I've learned from other people – I learned to play chess a little bit. And I think that might be the only game, honestly, if I ever stop coaching football, I probably need chess. to play chess because I think it's the strategy and the manip- and the, 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 the adjustments that you have to make. Like I, I really – I know that's weird. People are probably, God, it's weird. But the adjustments are the part I love the best. Well, Coach, we've got about two months and some change left of practice. We've got – uh, I believe scrimmage this year is against, is it Tech? Yes, our preseason scrimmage is against, against tech. tech. It'll be at home in August. And yeah. then we've got first week at Jefferson. Down, down in my uh, old neck of the woods, Jeffersonville, the yes. Red Devils. Down in the, I'm actually excited for that one. So my radio, Hoosier Hills. My down radio TV Hills. teacher who was at uh, Floyd Central at the time is now at, at Jeffersonville. So we should have some good hospitality for radio TV, and that'll be a, a fun trip down there. But, uh, for those that are listening, I hope that this was an informative podcast for you. Again, I wanted to try to talk about Darren Fisher, the man. We got into some football, as as is going to be the case, as you said. It's it's not just a, it's not just your your profession; it's also a hobby. And coach, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. It's it's a pleasure, and I can't wait till we're sitting down at one of the, either the Mexican restaurants or at Wings, and and we're cutting it up. That's always the fun part of my job is whenever season we're in. That's usually the like Coach King is always like, "Hey, you want to come out tonight?" I'm like. Sorry, man. I'm with the football. I said, you'll get your time in the winter, and that's that's how it goes. So I'm excited to see you guys again this summer, and hopefully uh, again on Sundays as the fall progresses. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We'll make sure it's fun. Absolutely. Well, that does it for this week's episode of Chit Chat with Corley. As always, until next time, be safe, everyone.